Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And today we're going to start a kind of a new conversation. And we often will pray to have more people to join the seminary and to become more priests, to become more concentrated religious. But we rarely ever discuss what does that look like? You know, if we want to grow up and become a doctor or a lawyer, we know what that's like. You go to college. Most of us have an idea of what college is going to be like growing up through high school. Um, and then, you know, you know that you have to go to some extra college after the normal college everyone else does to be either a lawyer or a doctor. But seminary is, first off, a different word, so people don't know what that's like. Uh Obviously, there's not as many seminarians as there are as college students, just by default. So we wanted to take this opportunity to just kind of illuminate what does the process mean in more than just 40,000 foot level, but from an actual regular day lifestyle of going through the seminary, what's that like? So, Father... Having gone through a seminary and being in charge of it, um, I'm going to let you take the floor now and start letting us know what it's like. All right. Thanks, Joe. It's a, it's a great topic, and you make a great point. It's uh, one of those questions that I really appreciate and precisely uh, asked you for when we got it started with this podcast because you think of questions that I wouldn't think of. And I, as I said to you early on, your questions are probably a lot of people's questions. <laughs> so grateful for you uh, bringing that up. Just to make a couple of uh, distinctions, uh, I don't, I'm not in charge of a seminary. Uh, I'm, I'm one of the members, one of the formators at St. Vincent Seminary and known as the Director of Spiritual Formation, or sometimes people just abbreviate it to the Spiritual Director of the seminary. So the, the head of the seminary would be the rector, and that's Father Ed Mazik for us right now at St. Vincent Seminary. And then we have a number of other uh, formators, directors of different aspects of the seminary, faculty members who teach classes and uh, staff to support all of that. And then, of course, the seminarians themselves are the obviously beating heart of the whole place. So yeah, what does seminary consist of? Um, also, you uh, I know you were just setting the stage, but just uh, for the, the sake of mentioning some things and making some distinctions, uh, seminary is specifically for the formation of priests. So consecrated religious only go to seminary if they're going to become priests. And so nuns don't go to seminary. Uh, and, and, uh, a lot of male religious wouldn't necessarily go to seminary unless they are also going to become priests. So I happen to be one of those consecrated religious. I'm a Benedictine monk and I also became a priest. So as you mentioned, I also went to seminary in our seminary at St. Vincent. We also have both those who are religious. We have our own monks and monks from some other places, and we have, what we call diocesan seminarians, those who are studying to be parish priests as part of different dioceses. So that's all going on here. I just threw a lot of stuff out. And now to simplify, I want to just focus on 
diocesan seminarians. So maybe one of our listeners uh, is in the Diocese of Pittsburgh, for example, and you've thought about being a priest for a long time, or maybe the idea just came up, you had a conversion, you think, wow, maybe that's what God's asking uh, in my life. I'm really excited. I would love to share my faith with others. I'd love to uh, serve, minister the sacraments to people, and maybe God is calling me to the priesthood. So that's kind of how these things start. Everybody's vocation story is a a little different, a little unique, because God does call us uh, individually, and we're all unique. But there are some common threads that move through different vocation stories. And so somebody who's asking that question might wonder, like you said, Joe, what the process is like. Um, Now, you said we know what that process is like for being a doctor or a lawyer. I'm not sure that's really true. But anyway, uh, the the basic outline you gave, you go to college, you go to another college, you probably go to another college, you've got another, you know, anyway, there's a a lot involved in all those things. Probably if we knew what the whole process was like, we, we wouldn't go down any of those paths. Um, <laughs> but there's enough that's shrouded in mystery that we get drawn in step by step and more and more committed. But, but anyway, it's, it's good to understand some, have some idea of what the path is like. And one, the, the basic thing about seminary is we use the word formation a lot. And that's the word that the church uses for how we form a man to become a priest. And, and you can think with the word formation of shaping clay, for example. You form clay into a certain image, and ultimately that image is Christ. That's the idea, is that as priests we are configured in a particular way to Christ. And so that configuration ultimately happens at ordination, but we need to kind of get the clay into the right mold before we fire it and solidify it into that that image of Christ that the priest is called to be. And of course, God does that within the, again, the uniqueness of our own individuality. We're not creating molds and cookie cutters of Uh, this kind of plastic sanctity that we make all priests fit the the same shape. Anybody who's been in more than one church knows very well that no two priests are fit to the same shape, but there is a basic mold of of Christ or a basic shape that we want to form men into. And that formation covers four different dimensions of our humanity. These are the dimensions that were identified by John Paul II in his apostolic exhortation, I will give you shepherds, pastores dabo vobis. And those four dimensions of our humanity that need to be formed into that image of Christ to become more Christ-like are uh, our minds and our our humanity, our, our psychology, our feelings, Uh, our relationships, so these different elements of our humanity, and then also our pastoral sensitivity, our pastoral skills, how we reach out and serve others. And then the integrating point for all of that is our spirituality, how we relate to God himself. And so that 
spiritual, to go in the reverse order, spiritual formation, pastoral formation, human formation, and intellectual formation. That's Those are all of the pieces that we're really paying attention to as we help men to move toward the priesthood. So I'm, I'm still speaking in vague terms. Well, give me some nuts and bolts, but let me just say that that, that four-dimensional process is, is a real gift. I mean, there's a lot of focus over uh, several years, six to eight years usually is what seminary lasts at the current moment anyway. Um, over the course of six to eight years, men are being formed with the, the intellectual knowledge and understanding, with the human capacity to relate, to feel, to be integrated in a, in a uh, healthy way with the pastoral skills that they need, at least to get started in ministry, and with the, the spirituality, a deepening of spirituality, a real living relationship with God that is going to serve them the rest of their lives in their own faith, but also certainly as priests. So all four of those dimensions are being shaped at the same time. And then you might ask, well, what kind of process manages to shape all of those things at the same time. And one way we can think about it, it's a good starting point because as you said, a lot of people have been to college. And so college is a a way to think about it because you do take classes in seminary. There's an academic component at the end of seminary formation. uh, We all get a, a degree because we've taken a certain number of classes, gotten a certain number of credits, gotten good enough grades. And so there's an academic dimension to it. And at the end of seminary, you get a Master of Divinity degree, an MDiv. And uh, so you can start thinking about it like college. I don't want to stay there too long, though, because there, it's only a part of seminary. But you can think of it as being, a, a, you know, you go to classes during the normal semester system, fall semester, spring semester, you're, you're going to classes. and But you're also living in an environment with other seminarians. And that environment has some of its own qualities. You And, and you're also living there uh, in, in close quarters with the seminary formators. So the rector, the rectors actually lives next door to the seminarians and the, the dean of students also does. Some of the rest of us just live in the building next door in the, in the monastery. So we're really living in close quarters with the, the men who are meant to be examples, all of us, spiritual director and rector and the different faculty members and different formators. We're all meant to be examples and to be living close enough with the men also that we're really seeing them. So that's a real difference from college. You know, you don't, you don't have your teachers living next door in college. You don't have the president of the college living next door. You don't eat meals with the faculty and the president of the college. You do that in seminary. And the reason is that we're, that formation process that I described, intellectual, human, pastoral, spiritual, that's happening all the time. And so we pray together, we eat together, we recreate together. Now, we also have times apart and they have free weekends and they can go off campus and they can do other things. But we do a lot of those things together because it's formative and also because it helps us to see how the men might need some additional attention. We see 
gosh, you know, some of these relationships aren't working out very well. This guy has a really hard time dealing with stress and anxiety. That's going to be a problem in the priesthood. We need to work on that. Give some extra attention. Well, it seems like that guy has a really hard time uh, praying. And so we want to pay attention to that. Um, Wow, that guy has a terrible way of relating people. That's going to be a real pastoral problem if he's kind of harsh and judgmental with the people in the parishes. So we get to see all of that because we're all living in in an environment together. And then that's for the sake of helping people to grow through some of those things. A lot of times we have some angularities, we have some uh, hard edges that are that way because nobody's ever told us and nobody's ever noticed and nobody's ever worked on it with us. So you really get some wonderful formation in the, in the process of seminary. Um, that includes also every seminarian has a spiritual director. I'm in charge of assigning seminarians to spiritual directors and then I meet with quite a few of them myself. Every two weeks, the seminary meets with a spiritual director. And that's an environment that you share everything. Certainly what's going on in your prayer life, but also the struggles that you're dealing with. Usually your spiritual director is also your confessor. A seminarian spiritual director is always a priest because that spiritual director is meant to be a, a model and a mentor for him. And so those meetings are taking place regularly. And that's also a safe environment. The spiritual director never reports back anything that's shared. So totally safe environment to work stuff out internally. We call that the internal forum. But then the spirit, the seminarian also has what's called a formator. He's assigned to another member of the, of the faculty or the staff who he meets with and works through, especially dimensions of human formation, maybe some interpersonal struggles, maybe some stress and anxiety, maybe some difficulty with classes and uh, maybe some, you know, some other personal difficulties. That's called the external forum. And the human formator also writes an evaluation of the seminarian that will be given back to his, his diocese and that will be discussed with the other members of the staff, again, for the, for the sake of, of helping him to grow towards uh, being a, a holy priest, which is what we want to form in our seminaries. Um, as I said, the seminarians are also going to classes and they're learning theology and scripture and uh, different pastoral classes, spirituality. A lot of lot of classes, uh, uh, also philosophy to start with, uh, two years of philosophy, four years of theology, basically, until you get a graduate degree in in uh, in theology, a master of divinity degree, and then the seminarians are also having pastoral assignments. They do that during the school year uh, as part of the seminary formation, and then usually seminarians from dioceses will go home and live in a parish for a summer, for all of the summers of, you know, six to eight years of seminary, live in a parish, live with priests, help with the pastoral ministry, see all of that stuff uh, up front and personal. And sometimes uh, dioceses will also have what's called a pastoral year where the seminarian lives in the parish the whole year to really get a sense of what that ministry is like, what it's like to be um, serving the people of God in a parish. So, After that process of formation, some evaluation, it's also a process of discernment as the seminarian feels, yes, this is really what I'm called to. I'm going to keep moving forward. And the diocese also says, you're a great candidate. We really see you're being formed well. Uh, And then ultimately there are 
some decisions made, several points along the way until finally uh, ordination to priesthood. Perfect. So, <laughs> the, uh, so a, a couple of points that need to be sorted through there. One of the obvious differences between you know your standard college and joining the seminary is part of going to college is to figure out what your profession will be later on in life. Um, going to seminary, you kind of already pick that. You're going to become a priest. Now, there's obviously different routes that can go into, as you mentioned, um, being a diocesan priest um, or, or other directions you can go join, joining another group. Um, but ultimately, you're going to be a priest. So if I understood you correctly, essentially the way that you described it is during the summers, it's almost as the same as it was whenever I was in the summer that I would go do an internship. And it would be essentially me figuring out, do I like doing audit type work? The answer was no. <laughs> do I like doing this type of environment or that type of environment? So yeah, you're still going to get the, you know, this particular workplace and that workplace, because you're going to be dealing with a certain type of, uh, you know, priest and all of them are different, which is obvious. Each of us are different as we've covered many times. So that makes sense to me. Now, why you guys would want to continually live together also makes sense to me because it's something where the formation, I how to put this, you were told your whole life, you're going to change so much in high school and college. You're going to change so much in high school and college to the point where it's like every single speech I hear at graduation or whatever is going to say that it's almost on deaf ears. So going through the process, it's, you know, I'm still waking up in the morning and still going to sleep at night. It's, you know, how really different. And it's only looking back that you can see that, which makes sense, which also would make sense about why you're. I don't know if recruiting is the right word, but always trying to target people coming out of high school, which again, makes sense because if you're going to go through all this changing, it's best to go through formation while you're going through these, these changes. And I remember there were many times in college where you could kind of like slip through the cracks, if you will, you know, there wasn't, you have to show up to every single class. It was, you know, as long as you come in, pass your midterm, write a good paper, you'll be able to get by. You, it wasn't a full emergent, or at least it didn't have to be. I mean, there was a lot of people who went around the edges. And I see the the importance and the benefit therein from being continually around priests. I mean, your ultimate goal is to become them. And if you think about it, how much better would you be at whatever job you end up going into if you were always around them? You know, if your goal was to become, I don't know, like a concert pianist and every single day you woke up and you were with three world-class concert pianists, you probably would have got developed better habits than just going to a class on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and hoping you're paying enough attention. So from the producing a better candidate, it makes complete sense, but also on that same token, it also can be a little bit 
intimidating too. And because you're joining a team effectively. And as anyone who's ever started to join a team, whenever uh, there's other people along, you know, think about it freshman year, trying to join a team where you've had a group of guys who have already know all the plays. They already know how practice is going to work. They've gone through this. They might be fighting for various, you know, starting positions. You know, I'm going to be the starting shortstop. No, I want to be the starting shortstop. So there's little stuff like that going on. Not saying that that's going on at the seminary, but there's an intimidation factor because you don't know what it's going to be like, but you are expected to fill in and, and join the ranks um, and not be a disruption to the, to the rest of the, the organism. So, I wanted to kind of address that because that's something that a most people see, you know, it's different, you know? So let's have a chance to talk about that element here for a couple of minutes. Well, and let me just touch on uh, one thing you said that I I think will be helpful to clarify. And then I'll I'll go into what you were just mentioning. And uh, thanks for the great summary. I, uh, an internship, that's a, a great way to describe that and uh, your, your sense of why we live together and help to form each other in that way and that kind of apprenticeship and, and mentoring. Before there were seminaries like we have them now in a little more academic context, uh, living together, forming together, uh, teams of specialized seminary formators who have a, a dedicated role for that, before that, that all formed at the council after the Council of Trent in the 1500s. Um, really, didn't start until the 1600s. But uh, before that, it was all an apprenticeship model. You just like live with a parish priest for a while. You learn from him. The bishop would ordain you, and it was kind of a mess. It was good in some ways, but uh, also a mess in terms of not having. You know, if your parish priest was inadequate, then <laughs> just kept propagating the problem. But uh, anyway. Uh, just to say, yeah, there's so it's a uh, uh, a development of that model to have that kind of mentorship, living together, apprenticeship that's uh, that's happening in the context of seminary. Um, but one more point to bring up. So, in terms of when you enter seminary, uh, there are people who enter after high school. There actually used to be. It was very common, actually, around the time of the just after the Vatican Council and for centuries before that, to enter for high school. Uh, A number of our bishops and our leaders today uh, would have still been in high school seminary. And they would enter seminary at, you know, freshman year of high school. And and there were many who also entered and and discerned out, you know, I mean, they don't make a decision, a lifelong commitment by any means, but actually starting at age 12 or 13. So our Arch Abbot, um, who is 74 now, entered St. Vincent when he was 12 in the, in the prep school, as we called it, which was preparation for the monastery and ultimately the seminary. So just to say there's a, but you're right, uh, primarily uh, people will enter after high school and they enter, if in that case, they enter what's called college seminary. And it's, uh, uh, yeah, basically what I described already. You also have people, a lot of people who enter after college. So they go to college, totally normal college, study mathematics, study computer science like I did, um, study English or 
history or philosophy or whatever. And then a little later on, or even during college, they really think more seriously about becoming a priest. And then they enter seminary after college. And in that case, they still need the two years, at least two years of philosophy and the four years of theology. So it'll be a six-year program. For people who enter after high school, they would do a normal four-year college getting a major in philosophy, and then they would still do the four years of theology. So it'd be an eight-year program, but starting a little bit earlier. So just to make that distinction. And in our seminary right now, we have, I guess, a couple of, well, we don't have a college seminary. So we don't have any 18-year-olds who are here. Uh, We have some people that went to college seminary somewhere else, like Erie or in Pittsburgh, and then came here after college seminary and entered theology. So we have some, I don't think we have anybody under 21. We we definitely don't have anybody under 21. Um, We have some 22, 23-year-olds, but we also have a 58-year-old and a 60-year-old who had full careers. Uh, In some cases, we have people who were married and were widowed, or in other cases were married and their marriage was annulled. Uh, So in other words, they weren't married. They just... uh, but um, in any event, we have what we call them later vocations, you know, people who enter even much later. So just to sort of set that stage, a lot of possibilities there. I don't want anybody to feel like you didn't enter after high school and it's too late for you. <laughs> it's never too late. So uh, and then in terms of, uh, yeah, you know, joining the team and and some of those dynamics, you might have to uh, – remind me of a detail you wanted me to touch on that I've, I've lost track of. But uh, in terms of joining the team, I like that image. And you're, you're living in an environment where, uh, yeah, because when you, when you become a priest, you join a team and you need, you need to know how to work with the team. Priests are not sort of a solo act that uh, they do whatever they want. You know, you're joining a diocese, you're joining a a group of priests, a presbyterate, you're serving under a bishop, and you need to know how to be a team player. Now, a parish priest has a certain amount of autonomy in his own parish, but he also needs to know how to work together with his brother priests and together with the diocese. And so we get some experience of that already in seminary. You're working with brother seminarians. We have a little, uh, you know, kind of government council. There's a president and vice president of the student body and things like that. And uh, there's some service opportunities in that. You're working with your classmates in classes and out of classes and in, you know, managing the, uh, the different aspects of the life of the seminary. And you have to work with the formators. And I'm not sure if you were asking about this for seminary, but it's true. It can stir up some jealousies. You know, you're not competing for shortstop. But there are ways that when we're working with others and when we're in the same environment, well, I wish, you know, how come he's praying so well? You know, he looks so pious and devout or he gets really good grades or, you know, how come this guy is that? Anyway, it's, it can stir up jealousies. It can stir up comparisons and competition. And those are, you know, issues <laughs> that we want to work through. Those are uh, different people are wired in different ways to, to, to be tempted by different things. So um, all of those things also become a kind of spiritual issue. How do you pray through that? How do you grow in virtue? How do you uh, walk the path of the Beatitudes? How do you do all the stuff that we've been talking about in our podcast for, you know, uh, two years? So those things are are an important part also of, of seminary formation. 
Perfect. Well, we are going to continue this conversation into our next cast here as we're going a little bit long on this one. So we do thank everyone for listening. We will be continuing this conversation here next Tuesday. Please thank everyone for listening to the cast and spreading the word as we are graciously growing. And it's pretty much all through you guys telling other people about it and word of mouth. So thank everyone for being here and we'll be with you again next week. Thank you.